Uh, we're in a series that we've been in. This is week four called Breathe Again, uh, talking about moving from stale obligation to life-giving relationship, not just doing things because we have to do them or we feel like we should do them, but rediscovering a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And maybe, you've, maybe you're here, you've never uh, made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life. Maybe it's your first time in church. Hey, this is going to be a great Sunday for you. Every Sunday is. And uh, if you've been coming here a long time, there's going to be something here for you as well. It's going to be challenging for all of us. And so we're going to pray, and we'll go from there. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love and your presence. Thank you for every person here, Lord, for the families represented. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever felt, I've had enough? I've had it. Anybody ever say that before? Yeah. Some of you get hangry. You know what hangry is, right? It's where you're hungry and you start to move from hunger to anger. When it's a kid, you call it a tantrum, but when we're adults, we call it hangry. Yeah, that's right. How many of you see, for me, where I find that happening often, it's not so much hangry. I can go a very long time without food, but I find it, I feel like I've had it some, many times, and you here, if you've been around, when I'm in traffic in our city, that's when the real you comes out to play. Up to that, you're just playing. But when you come into traffic, or at least I do, it's my own personal struggle, and it's a trigger for me. But when I start to react, I realize that I've had it. I'm probably too tired. I might be a little bit stressed about something. I might be a little overwhelmed about something. Or I've, I've just not been taking good care of my load of, uh, on my life. And I've, I, I, that guy in front of me, Tommy the Texter, as they call him at the theater, is on his phone at the light when it's green and he's still not moving. If that's you, I see you. We all see you. We don't think we don't. You're not all looking at your knees that much. Come on, we know. And in all seriousness, don't text and drive. People's lives literally are at stake. That's a whole other story. But anyway, other times it has nothing to do with traffic for me. A few weeks ago, our eldest daughter got married. So I was full of joy. Okay, I got full of joy. Along the way, there was a lot of things that were a little iffy to get moving from finances, to putting it all together, to venue, to uh, last-minute things, and I was starting to get a little irritated, and also my beloved wife was starting to get a little irritated, I think, at me, and so we started to escalate the irritation level, and you know how it is. It's always whose fault? The other person's. Yeah. Yeah, none of you are saying it. You're scared. It's all right, but I would, and then my, my wife would go there, and we'll take another, and finally we just said, oh, hold on. Hold on. This, this is not good. We had to own our own part and try to do better and apologize to one another. Uh, I was reacting a little bit in my own reactions and attitudes. And this has been something that I've been working on for most of my life when I'm overloaded. One time my wife, I asked her, and you probably have heard this before if you've been here, uh, do you want a hamburger? We're going to buy a hamburger. Do you want a hamburger? This is early in our relationship. We weren't married. And I hadn't yet discovered that when you ask a woman if she wants something to eat, she doesn't want something to eat for herself. She wants what you have. And so I'm eating this hamburger, and she says, could I have a bite? And I was a little bit overwhelmed, and I opened the window and fired it out the window. <laughs> Super mature, I know. How did it help? I don't know. I felt better momentarily, okay? 
That's when a burger was like 69 cents at McDonald's. So anyway. But have you ever felt like it was just one more thing that was going to cause a blow up either in you or out of you? Busy, overextended on many levels. Maybe you have relational issues where you're just treading water. Trying to keep up with a myriad of commitments and overwhelm. Responsibility upon responsibility. Perhaps it's raising kids. Perhaps it's caring for an aging parent in addition to all your other stuff. Maybe it's an unexpected stressor of something that happens, a car accident or something happens around your home. Or maybe you have in-law troubles. I don't have in-law troubles. I just got an in-law, my son-in-law. We're good, right? <laughs> we always good. I'm getting used to that. whole. Someone asked me, the other day, and I was like, who? Uh, asked, how is, uh, what's Alexandra's husband's name? I was like, who? It was just like two days ago. Uh, getting used to it. All right. Have you ever had felt like it was just, you know, when one more thing? When I was a kid, and you'd have to clean your room, where do you do with your stuff? You don't ever put it away. You just open up that closet. You stuff it in there. And you, you, your closet can be so full, especially if someone's coming over. If you put one more thing in there, it's going to blow. And that's sometimes how it is in our lives. If you put one more thing in there, one more financial stress, I'm going to blow. One more relational issue, I'm going to blow. It's overwhelm. It's too much. And boom, there it happens. Just this past week or two weeks ago, our car had a, uh, a warning light come on. And uh, it had been doing some jerking around, and it was hopping, and, and it's not because someone was learning to drive standard, but simply it was moving and jerking and revving and all kinds of stuff. And so we finally, uh, one of our daughters was going to be taking on a little bit of a road trip, so we asked, I said, you better take that in to get it looked at because uh, this could be a problem. And they looked at it all, and they said, well, yes, there's a minor thing that we think, but it could be something major. And so they did all the diagnosis. They checked it all out, and they fixed the minor thing. But the major thing continued to be a problem, which was our entire transmission needed to be replaced. Thank God for extended warranty. Always buy the extended warranty on your car. Uh, but here, this small thing, a warning light was telling us there's a problem. Now, we could have put a piece of tape over that and said, there is no problem. But what, what probably would have happened was on the mountain pass, my daughter would have been on the side of the road with, an, with a transmission piled up, and she would have been vulnerable on the side of the road in a difficult spot if we didn't pay attention to the warning lights. And many of us are like that car. We haven't yet got maybe stuck on the side of the road of, of life, so to speak. But there are warning lights going off in our life. There are things that are happening that are saying, hey, there's a problem here. You need to, you need to pay attention to it. Some of us are putting tape over it and hoping that it will just go away. But there's issues. Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, relates an interesting point where we just keep staying busy and keep limping along. And he tells the old, that there's a, in the old Chinese language, there was, they joined two characters together to form a single picture for the word for busyness. The two characters are heart and killing. Together, that are those two characters are the words that come together to say busyness, killing your heart. There's an old British saying that says, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. 
It doesn't only make Jack a doll boy. It makes Jill a doll girl. But it also, it's worse than that. It numbs. All work and no play parches Jack. It hardens Jack. It kills his heart. And when we get too busy, when we get overloaded, when we get to the place of one more thing, everything either becomes a trudgery or it's a scramble. It becomes all doldrums or it's mayhem. It becomes to the place where we get bored with the familiar or we're threatened by the unfamiliar. Our capacity for both steadfastness standing in and adventure are shriveled away. The warning lights are flashing. Busyness makes us stop caring about the things that we care about. Busyness makes us stop caring about the things that we care about. Because when we, it looks like this, when we lose concern for people, for both lost people and found people, for the bride of Christ, for friendship, for truth and beauty. Warning lights are going when we cease to laugh with our children and we start saying, be quiet. You're too noisy. When we no longer weep with those close to us that weep and instead just wish that they would stop being so emotional. The warning lights are going off. When we hear news of trouble among our friends or neighbors and we're like just hoping to God that it doesn't affect us, that we don't have to deal with it. And busyness makes us stop caring about the things that we care about. And it also affects others. So, see, well, all of us, that's a heavy rock. That's a heavy rock. This is our own load, and, and sometimes we, we just get so much that we end up just kind of dropping it, and we, we can't handle it anymore. And other times, imagine that heavy rock. It's not just our own load, but some of us take our load of stuff and put it on someone else. We ask our spouse or our close friends, we say, hey, can I, I have some things and I need you to hold this rock for me. Caleb, yeah, my son-in-law, why don't you come on up? Come on up. You're part of the fam now, man. You ought to be ready at any moment. Come on. I'll see if he's got muscles. Yeah, just hold that there for me. Okay. It's real important. It's really important. And uh, I need you to do it. Can you do that? That's thank you. I appreciate that. The answer is always yes to me. He says, <laughs> and I say, I need you to hold this until I get back, all right? Uh, you don't, Caleb doesn't really know why and doesn't really understand, but he's willing because he knows that it's important to be in my good books. And so just hold that, and I might come back every once in a while and say, no, I'm, I've got, but can you just keep holding that, please? I, I, I just... I just need you to keep hold. I've got some other things I need to do right now. So you just hold that. And I go out and I do my other things. And I go here and I go for visits and I go for coffee. Or maybe I really engage so much in work that other things that I, I don't have time for that. And then finally by the end of the day, I get back. And just as I'm coming into the yard, Caleb drops the rock. You can do better than that. Come on, drop the rock. Yeah, there we go. So... It has been all day, and he's exhausted. He's exhausted already. <laughs> and his weariness has overcome his willingness. He was willing to do it, but his weariness has overcome his willingness. And seemingly, suddenly, out of the blue, he dropped the rock. And I get irritated. Why did you drop that rock? 
Like, it's just a rock. Why are you dropping my, that rock? It was important to me. Shatters things into a middle, middle in pieces. And he says, this is what it means. You can go. I'll let you go. Give him a hand. See, it's one thing to be overwhelmed by your own rock, but when we leave, we leave others holding the rock when we say things like this. We ask them to carry our load as well as their own. When we simply, or maybe you take on the load of someone else because you got control issues, so you start to take everybody else's issues on and solve the world. Or we're absent. When we're absent at critical junctures in our family's lives, we're foisting a rock onto our family. When we find ourselves regularly pointing to the future to somehow make up for the past and the present that's not so good, we put a rock in someone else's hand to hold. When we assure them things are going to change, and they never do. And when that rock falls, it creates horrible consequences, and everybody knows about it. And this, I've heard this so many times over 20-plus years of, of doing and working in vocational ministry. It's often one small thing that causes the rock to fall. And the consequences are always big. Because somebody's carrying a load that's meant for somebody else, and you put it over onto somebody that's meant for someone else. Not because you think they're bad or because you're evil. You just have done it, and you weren't even aware of it sometimes. And it's often one small thing that causes it to fall. The straw break the camel's back, so to speak. And you'll find being late just one too many times, and someone's like, I've had it! You're like, what? I was just late once. 100, maybe. No shows. Another forgotten birthday, a phone call you didn't make, a comment you did make, a missed game. And I've sat in rooms where people say, he suddenly did that. It was not equal to what happened. I was late one time and she left me. No, that's not what happened. Eight years ago, you put a rock in her hand and she willingly took it because she loved you and wanted to support you, and wanted to walk with you. But her willingness to carry it has been overcome by her weariness of carrying it. And now the consequences have, not only to you, but into your family. And we do that in work relationships. We do that in so many relationships where we put stuff that belongs to us onto someone else. Because we're just trying to, our load's heavy, so I'm going to put it on there. It's okay to do that once in a while for a little bit but it's not the way to work. Because what happens when that rock falls, it looks like things like an affair. I've seen people do stuff that they would never do in their right mind. But when you are weary, when you are so tired, when you have been so busy and you can't find seemingly a moment to breathe, affairs happen, people get into all kinds of addictions, Sometimes looking good on the outside, addictions happening on, on, on the inside and some other places. People get into where they'll get into financial issues. All kinds of big things happen that happen not suddenly in one moment, but happen because of a lifestyle that's been lived drip, 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 little by little, day by day, when you've been foisting and carrying loads, number one, that are not yours to carry, or you've been putting them onto somebody else. And the busyness and the overextension and the overwork and the run, 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 hamster life eventually comes home and falls with a crash. 
And that's not just in a regular family. That's in work situations. I've seen people just suddenly quit a job. And you're like, what happened? I've been, they, they did this. And you're like, that's not why you quit the job. And you find out it's been year, week, month, time after time. And they're, you're, the people just somehow, their willingness to go on is overcome by their weariness of holding on. And you need to think, I want to encourage you to think honestly about your life right now. Do you ever get tired just thinking of all you've got to do today? Of all you've got to do this week? Of all you've got to do over the next six months? Do you ever feel just as tired on Monday morning as you do on Friday afternoon? Do you ever feel physically, not, do you ever regularly and almost always feel physically fatigued? You may, maybe you're running out of emotional, mental, and spiritual energy, and you see it in feeling anxiety, feeling overtaxed, feeling depression, feeling burnout, feeling the blahs. And what are your feelings? You don't ignore those feelings. Don't put a tape over the flashing light. Don't ignore it. What do you do to breathe again, to not just continually be overwhelmed? by the rock, and you say, well, I've got so many responsibilities, Craig. It's, I can't just not do it. I, what am I going to do? Well, first of all, the rock that you're carrying is not always things that you need to be carrying, and we're going to get into some of that. And second of all, weigh the consequences of what happens if the rock does fall. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to see what Jesus says about these kind of things. The apostles gathered around Jesus. That's, the apostles are the 12 disciples of Jesus that were being trained by him. Uh, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, what they had done and taught was that he had sent them out, and they had done some incredible things. People were getting saved. People were getting healed. Uh, they were seeing all kinds of incredible things happen. And uh, so they came back to report to Jesus. But then, because so many people were coming and going, say coming and going, that they did not ha even have a chance to eat. This sounds like your house when you have little kids. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Everybody say rest. That's everybody say rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Super busy. Now, by all marks, they were successful. They were doing and seeing incredible things. People were coming to them because of how successful they were. And when you're successful and when things are going well, your temptation is just to add, lump some more on and keep going and push and keep momentum moving. Churches can do it. Families can do it. Businesses can do it. And if you continue to push all the time, eventually the rock will fall. And eventually things kind of come unglued. But here they were. They were living with hardly a chance to catch their breath, let alone eat. It was good. People, good things were happening. People needed them. They were important. I'm important at my job. I need to be there. If I'm not there pushing things and moving things, nothing's going to happen. So I've got to be there. I've got to keep working those two jobs because if I'm not doing that, this is going to happen. Or I've got to do this. Or, and we convince ourselves, like these guys maybe were tempted to do, that this is so important. If I don't keep doing this, it's going to all come undone. When the reality is, it's going to all come undone. And Jesus says this. 
His response wasn't like, hey, good job, keep doing more, because it's all about people coming to Jesus. It's all about people getting saved and healed, and it is important. But Jesus also models something for us. He says, come away with me. A small group of us, let's go somewhere quiet and get some rest in the boat. Any day you can go somewhere in a boat is a good day for a rest. If you're in the prairies, maybe not there, but here, a wonderful time. And Jesus reflected that two rhythms that are built into a healthy humanity, two rhythms that need to happen, not only, not the only rhythms, but two that are super important we see in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning. The first rhythm is a rhythm of work. In Genesis 2 and 15, when God put Adam and Eve into the garden before any sin, when the, the Garden of Eden was perfect, and God sets them and he says, I want you to work the garden. I want you to work it, and I want you to till it and take care of it. Now, work, some of us think work is a curse. Work is not a curse. Work was designed by God. Work is a blessing. And you will never understand rest properly until you understand work properly. Because it's like this. When God established a rhythm of work, work is good. Work is not always easy, but we are made to. We are made for it. We're made to do uh, something purposeful, something meaningful with our life, and to join with God in seeing the world changed. And it's a powerful, important thing work is. But some of us live with it in, a, in kind of a different way. If we don't learn to appreciate our work as a gift from God, we will never fully enjoy our rest. And here's why. Because our rest time will always feel like we've got a, a day pass out of prison. Out of something we hate. And we end up, we leave resentful of our work. We, and our time of rest, we're resentful that it's so short because we hate going back to our work. And your work does not have to be a, a formal place of work. It can be a mom. Where you're like, if I just had a thing, but I hate doing what I'm doing. I don't want to do this. And as long as you do that, your rest will never be rest. Because think of this. If you knew you were only getting out for two days from jail, you are going to party it up and run and play so hard for 48 hours because you're no one go you know you're going back to boredom. You know you're going back to prison. You know you're going back to bondage. And some of us look at our work like that and we're like, I'm going to play hard. It's one of the, the worst things that you can do to rest is play hard. But because we believe that work is punishment, we don't rest well. And then when we go back to work, we're more tired. And then we get in a cycle where we never really rest. Because work is not a gift. Work is a curse. But Jesus said, and God created work, and it's good. My grandma used to say to me when I'd be doing the dishes and grumbling about it, Craig, do it heartily as unto the Lord. And I was like, Grandma, I don't want to hear that. No, Craig, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Do it for Jesus. But think about it. What if your work became worship? What if the work of your hands was a, presented to God as an offering? Instead of something to be endured, it was a place to honor God. What if you looked at, I'm going in and Jesus is the one that I need to please. Jesus is the one that I need to bring honor to in my life. It would change your perspective of work and it would also change your perspective of rest and your enjoyment of rest. Because when you enjoy your work and you come with an attitude, I've done all kinds of work. I've delivered pizzas. I've worked... Digging holes in the ground. I've worked carrying concrete in, uh, in, what do you, in wheelbarrows. I've built things. I've been crawling under 
uh, spaces and taking out dead animals. I've done all kinds of different things. In every place, I had to make a decision. Will my work be worship or will it be drudgery? Because if it's drudgery, I can go through with a bad attitude and never enjoy it, and my rest will never be fully enjoyed. It will just be a mere get out of jail free for a week or a weekend. But here's a radical idea next time you're tempted to complain about your work. Thank God for it instead. The Bible says something about that. In everything give grumbles. No, in everything give thanks because the power of thanksgiving, your attitude determines your altitude. Your attitude determines how high you're going to go. You can go through terrible things, but when you have a good attitude, you can come out soaring in the middle of it. People who go to the same job, one says, it's the worst job ever. I can't believe. How can I do it? Well, then get another one or shut up. Like, please. Yes, I'm sorry. But take a moment and say, Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for what I have. Offer your work as worship with sincerity and name the ways that your work has provided for you. Name the ways where your work has given you food for your mouth. Name the ways where your work has blessed you in ways that can't be quantified. Name the ways that your kids bring life to you. Name the ways and just begin to create a new attitude around work and it begins to affect the way that you view and enjoy your rest. Because you're not escaping where God doesn't live at my work and getting to where I can finally rest. In every place I walk, God's with me, and it's a place where it's been prepared for me, and I'm not a victim of my workplace. I get to be in there, and God's blessing my life and helping me in every place to bring a new rhythm of the kingdom into it. God, I praise you that there's food in the house. I praise you that I have an electric bill because it means I have electricity. I thank you, God, that I get to pay taxes so that I can... For real. In everything, give. Somebody help me. In everything, give what? All right. And so when you begin to be thankful for the rhythm of work, which God ordained, even through difficulty, it changes your perspective on rest. And here, the other rhythm is rest. So God didn't just say work, 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 which some of us do. Work, 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 and we never rest. By the seventh day, and this is in the very beginning, God had finished the work he had done. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And the Lord blessed it and said, uh, and made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God knew that we would struggle with the rest part, the rest, because somehow we want more. We always want more. We want to achieve more. We want to get more. We want to, we want to go places. We want to, we want to prove something to ourselves. We want to prove something to our parents. We want to prove something to a boss. We want to prove something to somebody who, I get this, and they always say, well, could you just do a little more? We struggle to show our worth, and busyness builds up this conviction that says, I am God, and it all depends on me. That's at the root of it. I am God, and it's all up to me. And that's why God built it right into all of it. Rest. Rest. And it's this thing called the Sabbath. And you, you looked up the Ten Commandments. One of them is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Rest is built into the rhythm. But we were like, oh, how will the right things happen at the right time if I'm not there pushing things along? It's not good. Because the Sabbath is a constant reminder that for one day a week at least, we are dispensable. We are dispensable to work and we're dispensable to the world but not to our families not to our community and not to Jesus it's a constant reminder and that's trust sabbath was derived from a word that refers to a stop 
in the normal routine to actively and deliberately cease function. Sometimes we have to work really hard to do nothing. It's not nothing, though. It's a concept. It's a rhythm. It's not just a day on a calendar because back in the Old Testament, the religious rulers took it and made it lifeless. They made it, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. God intended it to be a gift. Everything that God gives to us and asks us to do is because he wants to provide for us a, a life that's beyond what we can do by ourselves and bless our lives in a powerful way. So when he says, I want you to rest, it's not punishment. Now, I've read stories that back in the 1800s where on Sabbath day, everybody dressed up, went to church, and then they would literally sit in the parlor and say nothing. They weren't allowed to talk. Be quiet. It's the Lord's day. Shh, shh. And kids grew up with this idea that it was solemn and it was no fun and not to be enjoyed. And God's, and then in, in um, the New Testament, Jesus says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God has gifted you with the gift of rest. And we can't leave it out of the equation, the rhythm. But it's a statement of trust. See, the Sabbath principle, that's taking one day and, and saying, God, I'm going to give it to you or I'm going to rest on it. We, it comes out of this whole place of trust. Just like when we say we tithe, which is where we give 10% off the top to God, it's a statement of trust that I can do more with the 90% putting God first than I can with 100% all by myself. And in the same way, I give one day to say, God, I'm going to rest from my labors. I'm going to stop striving. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to be your son or your daughter, and I'm going to rest in you and be refilled and recharged and refilled so that I don't end up dropping the responsibilities and causing chaos and mayhem in my life and through my life, and I'm going to trust you. In other words, the day of rest is a gift from God. But it's not meant to be a dull drudgery. It's what recharges you, what fills you up, what, what brings life to you. That's what the Sabbath is all about. It says stop from doing the normal function to actively and deliberately cease functioning. In other words, not just doing stuff to do stuff because I have to. Sabbath is getting away from the things I ought to do. How many of you have an ought-to-do list? Or maybe your spouse creates an ought-to-do list for you. It's not about that. It's about doing things that have no other purpose than to enjoy life. When we had a garden, I would love to work in the garden. When I was a kid, I hated it. And I could never figure out why my dad liked doing it when he got home from work. Until I was of an age where I was working a lot and it was incredibly restful. It was my Sabbath. It was my time where I connected in, with God and I, and I connected with myself. And for some of you, it might be chopping some wood. You say, well, that's work. If it's bringing life to you and it's bringing joy to you, to feel the sweat go out of your pores and to feel your muscles strain under it because you, the biggest weight you lift is your, your phone and you're like, man, I need, to, I need to pick up an ax and chop some wood so that I can see some productivity and I can experience the joy of my body under strain. Or maybe it's sitting by a river. Or maybe it's playing a board game with your grandkids or it's a quiet morning on your deck. But wherever Jesus says, he's reminding the disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. He's reminding us two rhythms, work and rest. Not the rest of stale obligation, not lifeless and boring, but literally to cease from what's necessary to embrace what gives you life. Stop creating and be recreated. Stop making and be remade. Stop giving 
and receive. Sabbath rest was intentional. It was regular. It was part of the rhythm of a healthy creation, the rhythm of a healthy life. In our culture, we have this thing called retirement, and I'll tread on some interesting ground right now, where the highlight of our life is to work hard, get a good education so you can retire really well to do nothing. If you do that, your life will not be what God intended for you to do. Now, you don't hear me say you can't retire. What I am saying is if you retire, still have a part of your life that's engaged in work, in creating, and enjoying the creativity and joining with God in making a difference in the world. And in your rest, rest on. You, that's great. But be also engaged in the things of God and in the creative work of God as you move forward in life. And you, you've worked hard all your life, but uh, there, there is not, you, you can't find it in the Bible where you just stop. People who just stop, they stop. And you can read all the statistics about people who just quit and do nothing with their life very, very, very quickly. They do nothing. They just, we're made to also work, but we're also made to rest. And if we want the best from our life, we need rest in our life. See, when we join with God and we find, we find the purpose of God, we find purpose and we find meaning, and our life moves from a dull drudgery to where we get to experience the kindness of God in our life. We get to join with God and seeing lives change. We, we get to experience the, the wonder of, of seeing life in a powerful and a fresh way as we cooperate and move with God. That's what the best life is. The best life is not doing nothing and just simply sitting by the water and looking at the ducks swim by. That's not what it is. You need moments like that, but our life, our best life is joining with God. And, and like the, where um, Adam and Eve at the very beginning where God says, hey, take care of the world. Take care of your family and take care of Surrey and take care of Canada and let me join with God and, and see the world changed. And, and that's an important part, but we also need the other rhythm, which is rest in our life. We, and sometimes you're going to have to say no to some good things so you can say yes to some great things in your life. And deliberately, so how do you do it if you want rest in your life? Deliberately build rest stops. Deliberately build rest stops. When, if you travel with uh, kids, there are some people on a family trip, when they're driving, they are going to get there. And the fewest stops as possible. Is there anybody like that there? I'm, I'm here. Last time I did it in 11 and a half hours. Today I'm going to do it in 11 hours and 15 minutes. Nobody's, kids, you better have a bottle back there to drink and one to put it in afterwards because we are not stopping until we need gas. If you can go to the bathroom while I'm in the gas station, then you're good. Otherwise, get, do not move out of your seat. How many of you ever been with a parent like that? How many of you are that parent? Yeah. When we were I made a decision when we had three girls and we would go and travel. They all have a different schedule. And so I would get irritated. And I remember very early saying, okay, I can either be irritated all the time and the only memory of their, this trip will be dad was always irritated that I had to stop. Or I can just intentionally build some rest stops. And so we would plan our next rest stop. Oh, there's, there was one with a bathroom, and we're going to stop. And they would run around and play and, and laugh, and it took a lot longer. But I'll tell you this, it was a lot more enjoyable. And some of us in life are so focused on getting somewhere that we forget to enjoy the journey. And you need to build some rest in your life where you can stay happy to be around. Because some people are just cranky. 
And it's not because you want to be cranky. You've just grown cranky, and you know you're cranky, and you're a little bit irritated and irritable. But it's simply because you're overwhelmed, and you haven't had proper rest. It's built into the rhythm of creation. So build some rest in your life. Come away with me, Jesus said. Come to me. Let me show you. True resting flows out of quieting your soul, the noise first. Be careful of overestimating your ability to carry a big load. Because most of the time, someone in the house thinks they're carrying a big load. They've just foisted it onto someone else in the family. And somebody else is carrying double load while you think you're carrying it and the effects are there. And be wary of substitute solutions to rest. I'll pop a pill so I can rest at night. I'll drink another drink of alcohol. I'll do this. Or I'll just take a half a day. Or I'll just, no, be present because sometimes what happens in Psalm 23, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes things that are in our body, our bodies are breaking down, our emotions are breaking down, is because it's God saying, Nope, no more. You're going to lay down. You're going to rest. Because if you don't take your rest, your rest will take you. If you want the best for our life, we need rest in our life. And then unplug regularly. It says they went to a quiet place. Our world is full of noise. If you watch 24-7 news, you can have it on your phone. People can reach you 24-7 in our culture. Most people, I think it's like the high 80% have a smartphone. So we're reachable all the time. The noise of our culture is, the, the loudness of, of what we listen to and playing games. And, but one day a week, Try and remove for a significant part of the day external distractions. I saw yesterday, we were at the White Rock Beach for a walk with some friends. And I saw a kid. It was a beautiful day. The sea was there. And I saw this boy about seven years old under some shade with his phone playing a game. The sea is there. You can build sandcastles. And there he was playing a game. And he probably went home and grumpy. When he could have been running off energy and enjoying the wonder. And how many times, because we're just plugged in all the time, we cease to see the wonder of what's right in front of us. One day a week, Psalm 46 and 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. It seems to indicate there are some facets of God that we only discover through stillness. I hate stillness, naturally. But I've had to discipline myself because I've come close to the edge of burnout a couple of times. I've come close to the edge. I've come to a place of having panic attacks and all that. And now I've built into my schedule, I say no to some things, which is staying up later so I can get up earlier and have some quiet time. I'm on my deck, usually by 5.30 in the morning. I'm not saying that to, you know, pat me on the back. I just know that I will drop some rocks and have devastating consequences if I don't learn how to unplug regularly. Relax, play, relax, read, sing, Time on the water. Enjoy creation. Quiet. If we want the best from our life, we need rest in our life. Create community because Sabbath was never just a personal thing. See, as an introvert by nature, I always want to go alone. But that's not healthy for me. I need some alone time, but if I'm always alone and that's the only way, it's not good. Sabbath is not just personal but communal. Enjoy one another without a formal purpose, without an agenda without a production-minded motive. And if you're a type A personality, you're like, okay, we're together, so what are we doing? We're just going to hang out. Yeah, so we were doing this last night. 
my daughter, uh, Elena, is heading off for a year to Denver, Colorado, to a church internship, and we had some gathering of some friends, and I was like to my wife, so what are we doing? She said, we're just going to hang out. I'm like, no, like, what are we going to do? Like, do we pray? Do we, like, have a group thing? And so I did my thing uh, and didn't just enjoy the moment fully. But when we create community, be present with friends and family. Laugh. Laugh. Sometimes instead of watching just another mindless show on Netflix, watch the Three Stooges or something like that. Watch something that's going to make you laugh. I will watch the Minions. They make me laugh. Little people. And if you have a... That's my thing, okay? Because they don't talk back very well. But have a deliberate plan. Go for a walk with someone. And don't just make it about hanging out always, but just talk about what God's doing in your life. Talk about the goodness of God. You know, the Bible talks about that when we give thanks, it opens the door into the presence of God. And when we just start, we're with friends, and we're just, instead of just talking about the Canucks, because that's depressing, like talk about, you know, talk about God and what God's doing in your life and create some community that's deeper than just uh, what, what hockey team we follow or football team or whatever like that. If we want the best from our life, we need rest in our life. Start celebrating. This is not an easy one for me to do. I don't do this naturally. I want to like, one thing's done, I'm on to the next thing. And so God has gifted me with a wife that loves to celebrate. I get birthday cards and I get cake and she wants to have a party for me and my kids and everything. I'm like, we need to stop having the parties. This is too much. No. Celebrating. Because guess what? The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And sometimes you haven't, if you had to laugh, ask yourself, when was the last time you had a good belly laugh? Where you just laughed. Because it's also this wonderful thing that laughter is what? It's like medicine for your soul. When's the last time you laughed? Stop being so serious. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And if your life, you say, there's nothing joyful in my life, then get around somebody who's a little joyful or rent a movie or go watch people in the mall. I guess it's funny. It's funny. But do something that recreates you. Do something that makes you feel alive. Do something that makes you go, wow. Maybe it's, I went on a hike and I haven't gone for so long. Thank you, God, that my legs still move. Do something that'll just bring a smile to your face. Laugh at your silliness. Start celebrating. Because if we want the best from our life, we need the rest in our life. Jesus said, come away with me. Let's go to a quiet place and find some rest. And because it's, it's easy to spend most of your life breaking the rhythm of rest. And we never figure out that that's part of the reason why your work is unsatisfying, why your friendships are patchy, why your leisure is threadbare and dying, and vacations are exhausting. We simply haven't taken time to rest. Rest is part of a rhythm, not as a weekend to be oh, fall across or a holiday. Oh, God, I got two weeks and I'm going to fall across the line. And I'm just going to be dead for two weeks. Build rest into the rhythm of your life. Take moments where we do build a rest stop, where 
I unplug a little bit from time to time where I create some community, people around me, start some celebrating. How many of you would say, it's been at least a month since I had a good hearty belly laugh? Anybody? Come on, put your hand up. A hearty belly laugh. Are you? Some of you are like, yeah, it's like that. It's just so good. That's why we also worship. Just enjoy God. Enjoy life. Breathe again. Create some space in your schedule. Create some margin. Not just once in the summer, but may this be a reminder. Things drop. You never intended to happen because we haven't learned two rhythms. The rhythm of work and the rhythm of rest. Rest is such a gift from God. Build it into our lives. I invite you to stand. Jesus said this. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he goes on to say, and I will give you rest for your souls. You can never really truly be resting until you're resting on the inside. Because rest on the outside flows from peace on the inside or rest on the inside. And the first place to find rest is say, Jesus, will you be the forgiver and leader of my life? And if you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, he is the source of rest. The Bible says he is the prince of peace. The rest that you need is found in the king of Jesus. And he brings rest because he is rest. Let's invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. We want to give privacy to the people around us to find true life. The weight of that we're carrying is often, the Bible talks about the weight of sin that weighs us down that we carry things that are meant to not be carried. And we can simply cast our cares, as we said earlier, onto Jesus. Our best life starts with a relationship with Jesus. Lord, take my life, surrender. Let you set the pace for my race. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I need to make Jesus the forgiver and leader of my life, you just raise your hand. We're going to pray with you on my left or your right. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Down the down the middle on my right your left or if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you say Greg I need to with the help of Jesus build a better rhythm of rest in my life and I'm with the help of God I'm going to begin to do that so that my best life is found in a life that has rest you say Greg I need to work it not work at it cooperate with Jesus at building a rhythm of rest in my life just raise your hand real quick and we're gonna yeah, yeah all through it's a culture we live in run 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 produce 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 the rhythm of rest Lord I pray for all the hands that are raised around the room the lives that they represent Lord I pray that we would be a per- people that know how to work hard with you and know how to rest well with you and with one another Lord that we are dispensable one day a week from our work and from the responsibilities of our world, Lord Jesus. That we are never dispensable to you, to community, to our family. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make adjustments to our life, Lord Jesus. Where we're like, I can't, I don't know how, what could I Lord, that you would give us wisdom. Lord, that if we need to seek out counsel in the the, uh, abundance of counsel, there's wisdom. Lord, that we would be a people that live our best life, Lord. A 
life filled with purpose, a life filled with joy, a life filled with enjoying you and one another. In the strong name of Jesus, amen and amen.